Identity Talk. I'm your host, Jana Lopez. Thank you for sharing your time with me. My mission is to create deeper conversations with dynamic people from all walks of life about uncovering meaning about who we are and how we come to see ourselves. Words and identity are my life. I'm the author of the acclaimed book, Me, My Selfie, and I. I teach online writing workshops called Write About Now and offer one-on-one transformative coaching sessions that break you through to deeper clarity and connection with yourself through a guided process I call See Through Words. When it comes to navigating identity funky junk, it's time for straight talk. Get ready for real stories, real connection, and real hope mixed with humor and a whole lot of love. You're now part of Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. Welcome to Identity Talk. It is a beautiful spring day, and I have the honor and pleasure of talking to David Fishoff, who is the founder and producer of Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp and amongst many other things, author, public speaker, uh, show manager, tour producer, has done so many wonderful things. And I want to start by saying I met David when I myself went to a rock and roll fantasy camp. I want to say it was July of either 2013 or 2014. I gifted my husband, Mark, a trip to Las Vegas to rock and roll fantasy camp. He is a guitar player and he was thrilled (laughs) when I surprised him with this trip. I was also the publisher of a magazine at the time and I wanted to write about how people come to experience and what it brings them. And so I went as they call it a groupie and I got to hang out and experience a rock and roll fantasy camp. And let me tell you, everything you promise and more was experienced during that camp. I want to say George Lynch was there. He was the guitar player from Dokken and Warren Demartini from Rat. And Zach Wilde was there that camp. And okay, I have to know, is it Vinny Apice or Vinny Apice? <laughs> there are so many debates about how to say the last name okay so it's Vinny Apice <laughs> even I get mixed up I get mixed up and I remember that great article you wrote and you wrote such a great story and and, and you know for me that was fun because you know to see the response after camp is really what keeps me going is to see you know how everybody does go through a lot of life-changing experiences and you know, one thing I have to say about camp is that while, you know, you bought it for your husband to come and, and he came as a, um, you know, coming to meet with rock stars and play with them. For me, it's basically a process that I, I call it as a process, a rock process to put people through this experience to find a happier life and to take them back to their childhood when they really had no issues when they when no one hurt them when no one you know when they didn't have the pressures of on them to earn a living or get an whatever other pressure just take them back to their when they were kids and rebuild them 
and to that moment where they can come back in their life now and just enjoy life and be able to take, go on to do the things that they really enjoy and have passion for. So if it's anything that, the, the, I run two camps. I run the camp for the fans and the musicians and the wise, but in my own mind, I'm running a camp to really change people's lives. It's incredible because I want to tell you how much I respect and appreciate that it comes from such a beautiful, loving place to do that. You know, a lot of people do business for the sake of business, but to really have a sense of true purpose in what that gift can bring people over and over and over again, how that comes back, because you're right, our lives get bogged down by responsibilities and pressures and things that don't go right, things that change. And then we have a pandemic. <laughs> so, so there's so many reasons why that essence of who we are and to bring them back to that place is so invaluable and, and just lovely. You know, during the pandemic now, we, we, um, I started cha- changing the business model and doing master classes because I wanted to give people the opportunity to talk to Alice Cooper and to talk to Sebastian Bach and talk to Roger Daltrey and do these Zooms. And we've done 160 of them. We continue to do them. We're doing tonight where people are going to be able to mix a, a record with Eddie Kramer, the great um, legendary record producer. He's going to show you how he mixed, you know, Jimi Hendrix, how he mixed, and he mixed your songs. But the one common denominator that every one of these rock stars who are going through a tough time during this pandemic, this is hard. They need the stage as much as you and I need to eat and sleep every day. They need that stage because that's really gives them their, what what they're about is, is the passion that they all have in their lives. So while rock camp isn't the greatest business, you know, like, you know, unlike the concert business where you can, you know, just extend the fences at Coachella and make it more people, or you can go play for a club and then go to an arena next and then play a stadium for an artist. You know, I'm limited to 14 bands, 14 drummers. So as a business, it's really not a great business, but as a life-changing experience and what you give back to people, it's invaluable. It's totally invaluable. And thank God the business was good to me. So that's why I chose this as a way to, you know, the business has been great to me and and I wanted to give back. Yeah, I want to talk about the, we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about the identity of the campers and what you experienced that, the identity of the rockers, and then of course your own identity. But Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, as a place, as an entity, as an idea, it's been over 20 years you've been doing this, where you've been bringing together rock stars. 25. 25. No, that's what the film's about. The 25 years. You, we'll show you 25 years of Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp in, in an hour and 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> an hour and, what is it, an hour and 24 seconds, 24 minutes. You've had so many rock stars. You've had Alice Cooper, Roger Daltrey, Nancy Wilson, Rudy Sarzo, Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley. Uh, I know you had Sammy Hagar, you've had, I'm just looking at the list, an endless list of these amazing, Slash, I know you had Slash too. Hundreds. Hundreds, yes. So. Hundreds of amazing rock stars, yeah. Amazing rock stars over 25 years. And the, the idea is that for a period of time, whether it's three days or five days or, you know, even you, corporate events, you as the public, as the camper comes and connect with several rock stars over the course of this time. And you have a chance to interact, you get hooked up and you get into a band, you work with and create these 
songs, you, you work on them, and then it culminates with the jam session show where the campers and the rock stars perform for friends and family. So it's a mixture of the workshops, the discussions with industry experts, actually playing music, getting your hands on equipment. And it's absolutely life changing to be sitting there at a table and having conversations with people that you went to go see as a teenager and you're eating pizza with them, having a conversation. Vinny was so cool. Like I was like, sitting there going oh my god i'm having pizza with Vinny. it was awesome well you saw at a black sabbath concert you know and so I, I think we could we could tear this down a little bit first of all it's not a meet and greet and uh and i say that because these meet and greets that these artists are doing at the concerts you know you show your face goodbye next show your face goodbye next goodbye and you don't even get to talk to them you know i love you goodbye you know goodbye and they need to do these meet and greets because it's been another way for them to earn income um, you know, because touring is very expensive. This is more than a meet and greet. This is an opportunity to really, like you said, sit and hang with your people, get to ask them questions, get to jam with them, get to really get to know them in a way that you've never gotten to know a rock star before. And, you know, the way the business when I was touring was we, as um, I toured with many rock stars, we ran out that back door. And the last thing we ever wanted to do was see the fan. So by the time the, the song was over, um, that last song, we ran into a van and which because we, we had to get out of the arena before, you know, otherwise we'd be stuck in traffic for two hours and we had to catch the plane to go to the next city. So rockers never saw their fans, unlike the country stars. And I remember taking my daughter to see an Oprah show and um, Kenny Chesney was the guest. And Oprah said to him, Kenny, you love your fans and you go visit out in the, out in the parking lot at five o'clock. He said, I love my fans. I go out there. I invite them all to come on my bus. I hug them. I love them. I kiss them. And she said, what was the first rock concert you went to? She said, I went to see Aerosmith. She said, I would have done anything to meet Steven Tyler and to meet Joe Perry. So rock stars always ran. Um, they were afraid of people. I guess maybe they saw the old Beatle movies. They were afraid that people going to trample them. So that's, you know, one of the reasons the camp works is, you know, everyone feels in a safe environment. They also feel a safe environment because they're musicians and they're fellow musicians. And many of these musicians feel, hey, that was me. I just got lucky. And I think what people will see in the film that you've never seen before in any other films is the personality of these rock stars like they've, you've never seen them before. So if we talk about the campers and who come, many of them are people who started in high school had a band or college or lately now people pick up more instruments than ever, and they wanted to be in a, in a band, pursue their dream, and but they didn't. They either had to, you know, mom said, you got to go back to college, and you got to find a real job. They got married, someone got pregnant, whatever happened, they didn't get to live their passion. So they're living with this in them that I could have been, I should have been, I could have been, and... Joe Perry said it amazing at one camp. He turned to a musician and he turned to somebody and he was doing a Q&A. And he said to him, what do you do for a living? And the guy says, oh, I'm a lawyer. And on weekends, I play with my band. And, um, and I'm a guitar player. And uh, Joe Perry turned to him and said, no, you're a guitarist first. He says, you do that law crap to buy guitars. And the guy smiled. And a musician's a musician. So that's who our customer is. And I'm hoping that that by coming to camp, they're going to go through this this um, 
this opportunity to, and it's not easy. I, I, I will tell you that I'll be right up front. As you saw, it's not a layup. It's not, uh, you're going to come, have fun, hang out with rock stars. You're going to work hard because I want them to feel the way I felt like on tour. And I didn't sleep. And when I came home, I slept for 24 hours. So I want them to feel like it, like, like, you know, you're going to work hard, just like these rockers go through camp and, um, and you're going to have that unbelievable amount of energy and uh, you'll go home and you'll take it with you and you'll use it for life. Well, you have campers that come back multiple times. They're, they're regulars. Yes, um... they do. They do. <laughs> right. They're regulars. And I love having them, but honestly, I really wish I could take, I could show, give it to more people, allow them to come only one time. And was there anything that you had within you that you had a passion that you thought, oh, maybe this is something I could have done? Because in, in a lot of ways, you've had a really interesting dynamic life where you've had a chance to really explore and create in multiple arenas in terms of business and um, you did sports management, and you did lots of different things. So what was your passion that you had that you would say you didn't get a chance to fulfill? Okay, I wanted to be a professional athlete. So the next best thing was to represent professional athletes. <laughs> I wanted to be a comedian. I wanted to, I, I, so the next thing, the best thing to do was to represent comics. I wanted to play my brother's band. You know, that was the way he got all the girls, you know, and I couldn't do that. So I Got into rock and roll another way. So, yes, um, you, you know, I wanted my dreams, too. And I, I guess I found the second best way to stay to stay involved. And and, you know, and I get it why these people are pros. You know, people come to camp to, oh, I'm, I'm as good as that pro or I could have been as good as that pro. That pro musician is, is jamming his guitar five hours a day. Vinny Apathy is playing his drums four four hours a day. So it, it, these people are real pros. I once said to Phil Sims, can I, can I, can we throw the football? Um, Cause I wanted to catch the football. I figured, oh, you know, I'm young. <laughs> I'm going to catch the football. And he, he threw the football for me and uh, he hit me in the chest and it came out my backside. So, um, <laughs> and right. And he, they're genius. They're, they're very talented people. And so the next best thing was to be in business. So um, I guess that's really, you know, why, why I do what I do. To excel, to be living vicariously, to have a sense of what that dream is, all of the above? All of the above. And I think the goal in life is to become the best you can be, and then the and then your money will come. You just have to focus on being the best you can be. If you do things just for money, it doesn't work. No one ever works. It, you know, none of these people who created Facebook or created Amazon, they did it to because they had a dream to, to you know, to, to, to do something that was going to change the world. Um, money always comes, you know, and I think the biggest issue is if, you know, try to teach my kids, you know, it's not about the money. It's about becoming the best you could be and the best, most honest and, and that you can do and do business. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think the older I get, I realize it's not about, I don't think it's about happiness. I think it's about fulfillment. I think happiness is sort of a veneer you know, it's people aspire for these things. I think happiness comes from being fulfilled. And I think you can have moments of happiness. But to me, the goal is fulfillment, which comes from being the best you can be or finding connections or opportunities or places where you belong. Uh, 
whether it's music or business or sports or whatever it is, I think fulfillment is, is deep. Like that's where it comes from your aquifer of your. If you're living your passion, if you can find passion in your life. So maybe that's picking up an instrument. In this case, joining a band, writing music, doing what you do passionately and find something, um, then that will bring you happiness. Um, and, you know, I think that too many people, you know, wallow in their, in their sorrow and, um, and here's an opportunity to pick up a guitar uh, as you see in the, in the film or in whatever you want to do, in whatever you want to do. But you just got to get, you got to find a way to get the passion in, back into your system. If you look at Tony Robbins, it's all about passion. And, uh, um, I, you know, I didn't finish college. Uh, I run on passion. Passion University, <laughs> PU. <laughs> Passion University, exactly. Yeah, PU, that's right. Um, so who was the first rock star that you met as a fan? And what was that about? Like, how was that experience? Okay, so that's a great question because after dealing with so many of them, my first one was Davy Jones of the Monkees. You know, 1986, I brought the Monkees back together. And meeting the Monkees to me was 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 really, it was exciting for me because that was the only TV show my parents let me watch, you know, growing up in a strict Orthodox background and, you know, they wouldn't let me watch too much television. And um, so I, the monkeys and that, you know, to this day, I, I, I still have a passion. I love that band. When I hear their songs, uh, it makes me smile, makes me happy. Um, and uh, we could talk about that for hours. How come they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? They they have sold more records than most bands. Um, but yeah, meeting Davy Jones to me was the ultimate, and um, and we got to be very close. And um, so I think that was great. Um, meeting Ringo, a Beatle, but not as much as the Monkees because I was more of the Monkees. That's awesome. And my brother was the Beatle fan. Did it meet your expectations exceed your expectations so it, it did it, it, it did in the beginning with Davey but then you know as we got close yes he it was great and um uh, but I will tell you that um I was able to meet some people that I did um have, you know want to meet Neil Diamond was one I was disappointed um and sometimes it's better not to meet your idols um because you know it, it's just not You'll, you'll get disappointed, but if you come to Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, you'll you'll you will really enjoy them because once they agree to come to camp, they know. And I lectured to them before. And listen, this is not about you. This is about giving these campers their dreams. So if you want to come to Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, um, it's about giving back, and they love it. And that you know, to them, they see. You know, Jeff Beck, I said to him, and he's the greatest guitar player in the world. And I said to him, you know, why'd you do camp? And he said, I felt that it was a time for me to get back. And I think that's what it is for all those rock stars. Um, they come to camp because they know that they mean so much to their fans. It reminds them what it was like when they first started. And um, I think they all wish they had a rock and roll fantasy camp when they, um, you know, were younger. So they could save themselves a lot of misery and and by talking to people and getting some great advice. I can vouch for that too, because I want to say that you did an amazing job at curating the counselors for the experience because everybody that we came across, I felt were good teachers and not every good musician is a great teacher or a good teacher and not every musician is a nice person. 
And I really did get that sense that you did an amazing job at curating who was there. And I wondered how you go about knowing, you know, is this guy going to be an asshole? Is he going to be a dick to somebody and, and create that memory that stays? But really, we were really engaged and impressed with, especially Vinny and Rudy Sarzo. He was amazing, like in terms oh, of his presence a, and giving. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So I got that. I learned from Ringo Starr. <clears throat> I have to credit Ringo because I put the all-star band together for 15 years. And every year I had to come up with a new band. And can't tell you how many musicians wanted to be in his band. They want to play with a Beatle. And, you know, and I, as a promoter and a producer, want the biggest names and because I want to sell tickets. So, you know, when, when, you, when you take that combination, then I would go sit down with him and say, oh, Ringo, what about this guy? What about that guy? And here are hits. And I think they'll, he'd be great in the band. And, you know, and he would choose. And, and then if they had a reputation that, you know, he had heard or had met or he knew, He'd want them in the band. And I said, but he's going to sell a lot of tickets. And he'd say to me, listen, I got to live with these people and I got to play music with them. And I can't be in a band where I'm not going to be around people that are good people. So it might be, you might be selling five more tickets, but if, to keep this, this, this uh, band together, which he's kept together for 15 more years after me. And uh, it's all about surrounding himself with good people. Alice Cooper is another great example. Alice Cooper, when he puts his bands together, the first thing he wants to do is, you know, musically, I'll find a million great guitar players, I'll find a million drummers, but I need good people because I got to hang with them. I got to live with them. I got to travel the whole world with them. So I learned from both those gentlemen that it's more important to put together, you know, good people. So I made sure always to meet them. I always made sure to interview them. I made sure that they come and see the camps beforehand. You know, Rudy came to visit me. I said, Rudy, this is what it's about. Come watch it. I will tell you, I did make some mistakes over the years. I, I remember, um, you know, Peter Tork of the Monkeys, the late Peter Tork, was a very dear friend of mine. He said, David, I, I want to do your camp. And, you know, I'm in the program and I really get back. And, and I said, Peter, this is a lot of work. And, you know, um, and he came and, and he wasn't one of my great campus because it was a little, it was very overwhelming to him the people coming to him and wanting autographs and taking pictures all the time and asking questions and you know he's used to you know being standoffish a little bit and it was harder for him and uh but i got another counselor to come in and help him and he got through it in the end he you know it was good but i will tell you that, that the counselors we have are amazing and um how many of these campers are friendly with them post-camp and stay in touch with them and you know and they love it too because they come to a city and they hook up with somebody and you know you're in you're in, you're in portland you're in cleveland every night you're in a different city to see a familiar face uh, backstage and bring you a dinner or or just hugging someone and get to know somebody it's a great feeling so um it, it's it's worked it, it, the camp has worked because both people the rockers and the campers really enjoy it I think that says a lot about you. I mean, not to bring it back to you, but we're talking. So let's bring it back to you. I mean, it takes, you have to see something in people. You have to believe something in people. You have to be optimistic and have faith in people. You cannot go into a situation like that with anything less. You know, and, and there's certain things that bother me over the years, but you know, you got to put it aside and say, listen, this is about the people and about giving back and 
you just have to put it aside and, and move on and as we all get bothered by things. But, you know, one good workout on my Peloton bike, or one good Pilates class <laughs> takes care of that negative feeling. <laughs> right. And also, I would think the stories that you get back feed you the stories of both the campers and the rockers feed you because every in the movie, day, which I wanted to add. Uh, the movie about Rock Camp, or uh, well, Rock Camp, the movie came out in January of 2021. It documents experiences of several campers and shows their pathways that have led them to you and to Rock Camp and, and how it's shown up in their lives. And there was like, I think, four or five campers that you profiled. But we could have done a thousand of them. That's what I mean. <laughs> Everyone who comes right. to those doors has a story to tell. Everyone, and I can't tell you how many of them hit the hit the floor. You know, hit the hit the cutting room floor. I mean, one stands out to me about a, a young lady that I, I invited as my guest because she um, had breast cancer and Susan Coleman Foundation. You know, uh, I reached out to them and said, "Can I invite somebody? Someone recommended me to do that," and and I did. And she came to camp and she got to jam with Meatloaf and she got to go through the entire experience. And she goes back home and uh, her doctor, you know, meets her doctor. And doctor says, "You know, you you are better. You know, so I don't know what happened to you, but you're 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 just doing much better with your life." And she said, "Well, I went to this rock camp and I, all this stress came off me and." And I'm really so happy now. And she went on to write a book called Rocking in the Pink. And she dedicates a whole chapter. And then she came for an interview. And then she said to me, I said to her afterwards, I said, let me ask them, when you left camp, I took you on this journey for four days. And then you went back to work as a, uh, she was a lawyer. She said, what'd you do? And were you depressed when you came home? And she said, no, I made a, a decision that I'm never gonna write another legal brief again. And then I'm going to go with my passion because I learned that these rock stars are authentic and I wanted to be like them. I learned how to be authentic with my life. And today I am the number one fiction writer at Amazon. I changed my name to Lauren Rowe and I've written 14 books and I've sold millions of copies worldwide. And it was because of your camp that I, I became successful. So there are so many stories like that. And um, if we give them anything, if they went back and became a better husband, if they became a better person in work, uh, the CEO of Oracle, he came to camp and at the end, you know, he walks into camp and he says to the rock star, he says, oh, I want, I want to play this song. He brought five of his friends in the band and the rock star says, relax. I got to teach this song to five other people. It's not about you. And at the end of camp, he says, you know, I learned to listen. I learned that, that in order to be in a band, you have to listen to another musician. You have to learn to listen. And he went on to, um, to you know, convince me to, that you should do this corporate team building program. So it's just amazing the power of music. Um, and as you see in the film, how the, the, both the kids come through with it and, 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 and the young lady and, and, and Pistol and, and everyone goes through that. The same power thing. of music. I love that because that does really if we strip away everything we're talking about and time and circumstance and history and fears and lack of confidence and barriers, challenges, all of that, it really is like the power of music because I know for me, if I can sit here and listen to an Aerosmith record and go back to when I was 12 or 13 and I can remember exactly where I was in my life and then hear that song, it's still with me. Right. 
and it smile makes you smile, and and it, it takes you back to that time before any hurt, before any and anything that we've gone through in life. And it really, and if you look at these bands, I mean, they're all still their music is still profound to this day, um, and uh, and and bigger out of the United States. You know, in the United States, okay, it's one thing, but you know, you look at a band like Kiss, and they go to Brazil and they sell fifty thousand tickets a night, sell stadiums. Aerosmith sells stadiums. You know, they're, they, it's, it's so worldwide, the music is even bigger. And I know that for a lot of people, so what about for the rockers themselves? Let's, let's talk pre-pandemic first, then we'll get to that. But for the rockers, sure. I mean, how many of them are still who they were? You know, I mean, after they go through all of this, having everybody wait on them and they tour and, and everything is accessible and they sort of lose touch with, I, I mean, I can't imagine they all do, but I would imagine that some do, they lose touch with that part, even of themselves. So what do you notice in them when they come back to something as basic as this? Well, I, I'll go back to the film because um, when I was touring with Ringo and we were in the van and we would talk about these artists and all these different bands. And it was like, everyone had a behind the music story. Band makes it big. Band falls to drugs, bankruptcy, women, every all the bad things, and then band makes it back again. Um, and you just put the band in. You want to say Aerosmith, you want to say the Beatles, you, want, you know, every band has that has a behind the music story. What I love about the film is that it starts off slow, 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 and it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Um, and I, I think with the the, the rock stars they all went behind the music. You know, they all lived those behind the music scenes. And I think that the ones who decided that excess is not going to work in my life are still living. And we've lost many of them who don't realize that, you know, this is just, this is just a, a way to make a living. Now, the best way to describe that are the difference I've seen over the years between the uh, English rockers and the American rockers. Oh, I love the this. American rockers. They'll, <laughs> they, they act. They, 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 they live in excess because they want to be like the Beatles and the Stones and Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin. They, they want to be that way. You know, that's their idols. The British um, musicians. It's a job to them. I mean, Mick, when Mick uh, Fleetwood, when Mick uh, Fleetwood, when, when Mick Jagger, go, you know, he goes to work. Roger Daltrey, when he goes, does a tour. He goes to work. His father was an iron worker. His mother had a job. I'm a, a musician. I'm a rock star. It's a job. Bill Wyman came to camp. It's a job. And they look at the, their mentality of looking at the, the music business, the way they were raised. It's, it's a gig. Now, yes, one or two, you know, you know, went off the rails. But the majority of the British musicians, I love it. To them, it's a job. The Americans, they think they have to live in excess. And, and we've lost so many uh, you know, musicians. We lost a, a rapper the other day mm -hmm. and um, for living in excess. And so I think there's a difference between the two. The ones who take it as a job and it's a gig, it's amazing. And, they, they, and that's why they're still touring. Listen, they, uh, Ringo is 80, 81. McCartney's 80. <laughs> Mick Jagger and is, is 80. Um, can you imagine? And they're no. still touring, selling stadiums. No, it's a business. It's a job for them. And, uh, you know, so they don't live in excess. So I will say that I do notice that the musicians who come to camp are, are basically, um, you know, they're, they're happy to be alive. 
Um, they've probably gone through the, you know, the down part, like the behind the music scenes, but um, they've come back and they've realized that there's more to life than, 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 than living in excess. And uh, I have something to give and to share with people. And they learn that giving is sometimes better than, you know, giving is, is more rewarding. Many of them, like Roger Daltrey, supports a charity every day. He works on his Teen Cancer America charity. That's probably the most important thing to him now, to do charity work. Um, and, you know, you got to reward, you know, that you got to be, be, say that, you know, he's able to take his stardom and use it to, you know, help other people. Two split questions came from that. So first of all, can we acknowledge, David, just in that moment that you said that Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr and Mick Jagger, they're like 80. I mean, shit. Yeah, <laughs> shit. That's the worst. I mean, let's just take a minute to acknowledge that these fucking people are 80. Right, 80 years old. How is this possible? Right, 80 years old and they're so touring. And it comes with the word passion. Oh, it comes with, I love Ringo's answer one day. Someone said to him, why do you still do this? He said, I'm a drummer. What else am I going to do? You know, when they're on the road, they're Beatles, they're Stones. When they're home, they're schmucks. The wife says, throw out the trash. <laughs> you know, they have to. So they're running on the, they're running on the road because... They, they want a taste of that life because, you know, Jackie Mason, the comedian says, when I'm on, when I'm on stage, I'm, 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 a, I'm a star. When I go home, I'm a schmuck, you know? So my wife tells me to throw out the trash. So I think that they keep going on the road because they do have the tour manager, you know, taking care of their hotels and they're living great and they have fans screaming and yelling at them. How did so, they find their creative spark after all those years? How does how does Ringo Starr or somebody like Bill Wyman, you know, because you've had conversations with them. How do they maintain or create a creative spark after all those years and still do it with grace? So the creative spark is in them. The only thing that stopped them was when they did excess of drugs in those days, in the olden days. But now a guy like Ringo keeps himself healthy. He's record, He's still doing his band 30 years later. Um, he's passionate about writing new songs. He just wrote a song, he, his, his best song that I've ever heard in the last 30 years came from, he, he recorded a Diane Warren song this year. And he, he took a Diane Warren song, you know, many times he's co-written, but he took, he went to the best songwriter. You know, that passion is awesome that he keeps doing that. And, you know, people, I think it's just great. I think it's great. You know, my dad, he was a cantor. He didn't want to retire. Um, he was 80 years old, he was a Holocaust survivor, and he goes to the president of the synagogue and he says, you know, you're going to have to negotiate my next contract with my son. He's a big <laughs> agent. And he says, yes, we know David. Have David call me. And I, I totally forgot this. So I forgot this story, but I heard it. I heard it when I, when I was sitting in mourning for my dad and Shiva. And you know, the guy reminded me a story as I came to him and, um, he, I went to the president and I said, listen, my dad's making $10,000 a year. And uh, can we give him a raise? He said, Dave, we can't afford to keep him here. And um, we, we just were, were running out of money. And I said, hold on, stop. I'm going to write you a check for $10,000 and you keep paying my dad the other 10. And, you know, I'm going to go back and let's keep him for another year. And I went back home and I said, my dad says, uh, he says, how did you do? I said, dad, I doubled your salary. I got you $20,000. And he turned to my mother and says, he should have been doing my contracts my entire <laughs> career. I knew if my father stopped working, it would be the worst thing in the world for him. You know, work is very important. And I think uh, that you're finding it more and more 
uh, just read Gupta's book from CNN that work keeps that brain going. And, you know, you want to get rid of Alzheimer's and you want to, you know, not get any of those, um, you know, diseases, uh, you know, and illnesses, keep working. So these rockers keep working. And I got to tell you something too, the money is incredible. The money is incredible. Billy Joel was you know, selling out stadiums. That also gets very addicting when you, you know, you make that money because deep in their hearts, many of them all believe that they didn't get their acknowledgement in the 60s and 70s and they lost money. So now they're getting rewarded. So I think, I think for, for many of these stars, it's, it's something that fills, that fills their, you know, it, the money is, is really quite, quite, um, you know, motivating too. And I think there's more opportunities as things have shifted, social media, access, creating content online. I mean, yeah. a lot of that business model has changed in some ways. Well, it's made more people musicians. It's made it's increased musicians. It's increased more bands to tour. Um, you can go on the road and sell your merchandise. You can go out and play more clubs. You can find more fan bases. You don't have to wait for a record label to sign you. You create your own fan base. You get a record company. You get a radio station to like you, and you're on your way. Do you think that people are misinformed or uh, miss? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like whatever their priorities are. Sometimes people think they just want to go online and become a star and create all these things, but they don't, but they're missing what you said is that spark. So do you think having that spark, whatever it is that you do should be the fundamental basis of how anybody should build something regardless of the outcome? Well, I think social media today is making everyone a star. I mean, uh, it, it's geared to making everyone a star from the like buttons on your Facebook and your Instagrams um, to the opportunity to, to do TikToks. I mean, you know, I have one daughter, Alana Molstein, who is probably the number one nutritionist for a company called Beachbody. And she has a million five followers on TikTok. And I'm so proud of her, who she's become. But then I have another daughter, Talia, who is addicted to TikTok. And I can't stand that she's that she's um, watching this all day. And, and, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, cause the, the language on TikTok is terrible. I think it really needs to be guided. Alana's is, is about nutrition and it's great, but uh, Talia is listening to, you know, fashion models and, they, and, and just, and she's trying to do her best. I give her credit. And we, 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 I watched her the other day, but it's disgusting. And, but I think the world of TikTok and I think the world of social media and Instagram and Snapchat, has given people more of a chance to, to you know, to find stardom and success. And, and um, you know, I, I think it's great. You know, on the one hand, I think it's great because you're getting your, you're getting your, um, your passion going because you're doing things you like. And if you can make a living doing it, that's it. That's what it's about. Double-edged sword. Double-edged sword. It is a, it is a true double-edged sword because there is fulfillment in being seen but there's also some superficial aspect to how being seen really is experienced. I think it's, I think we get both. My movie this weekend is going to be social dilemma on Netflix because I was told I have to watch that. And that really explains, you know, how bad and good, you know, social media has become. I'm kind of afraid to, I don't want to know what I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you're absolutely, you know what? I have to agree with you. I started watching the first five minutes and I put it down and I got, I realized I, I'm going to need to be deep into this to get it. So I'll, I'll do it when I'm on my, on my bike. <laughs> You're right. 
Yeah, I don't want to be dirty. Yeah. Have to take a shower. I know, I know. <laughs> and then if you post that you've seen it, it's sort of contradictory anyway, right? Right. Like it's the right. irony. You post about watching a movie about. <laughs> Tell me then about your kids. You started to talk about them. You have five. What are their ages? And I think you have seven grandkids. Is that right? I have seven. And I just heard from one of my daughters. I'm going to have an eighth soon. Mazel so um, I have five uh, daughters. I have a daughter. Thank you. Thank you. I have a daughter, Shira, who's married to a fabulous um, man named Rabbi Shlomo Einhorn. He's a, a modern Orthodox rabbi here in Los Angeles and um, very great orator. And I, I highly respect him. And yeah, he's super, super. And uh, with, they have five children and um, and they start age, ages 18 and 17. And, and then um, I have a son, Josh, who is... Um, 36 and he's single living here in uh, here in Los Angeles also and he just moved from New York because uh, post the pandemic was tough for him there and uh, you know being alone without the family and then Alana 32 and she's uh, my media star on uh, Beachbody Alana Molstein and she lost 100 pounds and she turned her whole life around and uh, she she has a program called To Be Mindset and I think she's followed in my direction and, and, and followed me in changing people's lives. I mean, she's con millions of uh, hundreds of thousands of women have now follow her and and she's come up with a with a, a way of life uh, with, to deal with food that it's emotional. And, um, you know, she came up with a concept called Water First Veggies Most. She was signed by Beachbody. And it's unbelievable how she's become the, their face. And so she's she, she just changing people's lives all day and then i have um my son mordechai who is 16 and he's little mini me because he's selling baseball cards all day and you know today those cards have come back <laughs> and he's doing great and he's doing great in school and he's selling sneakers i don't know if you know that the sneakers have become a huge business not like when you and i went out and bought a pair of kids it and, is you know these kids are paying seven eight hundred dollars so he's getting them cheaper and selling them and he's just like a little businessman he's so cute and uh, he's got a little robin hood account so he's trading and buying uh, all different stocks and quarter stocks. And then my daughter, Talia, she's also making soap and she's a youth leader and just adorable to see these kids grow up. And, you know, I have a saying that's on my desk that uh, says, um, in a hundred years from now, it won't make a difference how much money you have, what kind of car you drive, how big your house is. The only difference will make what you've done in the life of a child. And I am such a believer of that because I think today we know how to raise kids better. We have more tools. Um, and, you know, unlike our previous generation, my, my parents' generation, they were Holocaust survivors. My dad was in Auschwitz when he was 20, you know, 20 years old. And, and you know, how was he gonna learn how to raise a kid? But today, I think it's really important for parents to really read books and, and you know, and not only, not all books, but, but to read and study on, on parenting. Amazing if you think about it. That if I were your kid, I'd think shit, I've got the coolest dad ever. But they're you're you're probably just to them, dad. They probably <laughs> I'm just you know, dad. The, fact, <laughs> the fact that you hang out with Ringo Starr is not like it's like whatever. Can I have the car keys? Like not Thank you. Yeah, you saw my son, he grabs the phone, he doesn't care. No, they yeah, they're, they're listen. <laughs> I think in the outside they do, but not to me, you know, and, and you still got to discipline them. And I think it's important that how you discipline them and how you raise them. And, um, you know, during those times when, when um, you know, those years of, uh, you know, those big years, I was just careful that I, I would, you know, you give them, but 
giving them love and hugging them is more important than anything. So how does your faith plan to it? Because I know your Judaism is very, very important to you and your faith is very important to you. And I would guess that because your father had been through such horrific experiences. Yeah. That you said it. Judaism has shaped how you, so tell me about that. Well, that's been my survival. You know, my dad survived Auschwitz and Buchenwald. There's a, a great book that uh, was re recently re-released. It came out in the 60s called The Yellow Star. And it really tells about my father and five of his friends, how they meet in Auschwitz. And uh, my father standing in front of Mangala with his buddies. And my father pushes his friend away, saves his life. And how these five guys go on and they light a Hanukkah menorah and they get oil that my father trades cigarette butts and he changed uh, you know, cigarette butts. When they would, the Nazis would throw it down the, on, on the floors, he'd, he'd run away, pick them up, take the unused tobacco. He'd make cigarettes. He'd exchange it for flour and water. So flour so that he could make a, a matzah on, on Passover. And you see throughout this book that his best friend wrote um, and who, who died immediately in the 60s. Um, but you see how much passion they, that my dad had to, for survival and how he believed in God and, and how he believed in his Judaism. So now I'm the next generation and I'm hearing these stories every day. I'm reading the book and I'm reading all these articles my dad would write. And, you know, we all follow our parents and definitely the, the, the positive traits. And that was one of my father's great traits. So I think it, it, it really kept me going because in this world of show business, how you've alluded to earlier, you could go a lot of different directions. And there are a lot of, um, yeah. uh, you know, you know, I don't know the, the, the word to say, but there's a lot of you're on the road and there's a lot of ways to to go and, and a lot of opportunities. And I think it's my faith that kept me, you know, still doing this at, at 64 years old and, and, and keep my kept my passion. And uh, so uh, I believe in the passion. I believe in, in the religion. I believe in God. I, uh, and, um, and I think that uh, it also kept me on a straight way of life. Did your father talk to you about his experiences or did he keep quiet? Because I've heard children of survivors have had both where their parents. Every day. Yeah, it's either one or the other. Absolutely. Yeah. It's either one or the yeah. other. My dad. He, 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 you know, every morning he made breakfast every morning and I'd come home from school and there was a half a piece of toast in the refrigerator. And I once asked him about five, six years later, dad, how come, you know, I come home, I'd eat the piece of toast. And I said, what, what, why did you, when she did both pieces of bread? And he says, I have to save for my next meal. And, you know, and then he taught me to save money because he didn't know where they were going to be next. And every day my dad spoke about it. He wrote articles about it. He believed that we have to remember it. And he almost got fired from uh, a job as a cantor in, in Hackensack, New Jersey, because a parent complained that he was telling a Holocaust story and he said, they have to know. And then, and then, uh, then I, I've met so many friends of mine whose parents never discussed That's... it. And so, yeah, right, it's either or. And, and you know, and this, this week was uh, Yom HaShah, the day of remembrance. And I, I love that there was a player in the NBA from Israel and he wrote, uh, he wrote remember, on his sneakers that day. So it's really important. It's it, it's important. And, you know, we learn for the past generations. The key is, in my opinion, is we can learn the good stuff. The bad stuff, we have to get out of our system. Right. And I love that your faith guides you. I mean, I think it just shows up in who you are and how you are in the world. Well, I saw my dad as a rabbi in, in a cantor, just giving to people, helping people all the time. 
So, and then my brother became a rabbi. He's a rabbi down in uh, West Palm Beach. And, and, and then my son-in-law's a rabbi. I didn't want to be a rabbi. I want to be a rock and roll. So, but I was able to take what I learned from them and um, learn to give back. So that's why I love camp. I, I have to tell you, for me, it's, a, it's my favorite thing in the music business. And, you know, I love what I did in the years. And, but just, a, it really is. And, and I hope people see that in the film. And what does 2021 into 2022 look like for you relative to rock camp? How would, yeah, what does that look like? I've been doing these master classes every night and, uh, and we, with Britt Lightning, the, the guitar player from Dixon, she's done an amazing job hosting them and we're working together um, to put them on. But uh, the, I hope in October, I'm, I'm, I'm going in October, uh, this October, I'm going to do my first camps in October in, in Florida um, in association with the Hard Rock in, in Hollywood, Florida. Uh, this is the first time I'm talking about it publicly, but I'm going to do them. And I'm in touch with rockers and, you know, I'm going to live, the, you know, do the COVID laws and, and, and respect everybody. And um, but we're going to do it. We got to get we got to get live music back. It, it's a mental health issue now. People need to get back to to, you know, to get vaccinated and to, to get back into live music. I have several friends. Uh, my One of my friends, a good friend, Kevin Rankin, he is the drummer for A Flock of Seagulls. And I have seen how sure. this year has taken such a toll because they went from touring and being amongst people and playing, just playing in front of people. Like, and this year, like he just played his first show, like it was a stream thing. I want to say a week ago, but it, yeah, it, right. See, it's you not do the a same stream thing, and it's still not the same. No, no, it's not the same. We need to get live music, and it's I mean, it's the last thing. Unfortunately, it's the last thing to open. And I, I tell you, I don't realize uh, people don't realize how hard it was on, on many of these people. Not the big stars, you know. Mick Jagger's got a lot of money. Paul McCartney's got a lot of money, but they employ. 400 people when they're on the road and those 400 people, you know, rely on, on the tours to, to go out and make a salary. So um, there've been some great organizations helping them, but to, to a limited extent, you know, so they've had to find other ways to make money. It's changed the business a lot. People have to go into real estate. People have to go back to being school teachers. People have to go work at Starbucks, whatever it took, but to, to survive, but they will come back because they have the passion to be touring and to be in this live music business. I'm just going to tell you a quick story before we we wrap up. I was moving from Portland, Oregon to Santa Fe, and so I had to get a post office box. And I had been dealing with this postal annex. I've had a P.O. box set up there for, I don't know, three, four years. From Santa Fe, I had to call and make arrangements. And this guy with, I want to say, a Vietnamese accent or... Um, Chinese or something I couldn't really understand answers the phone and I so he, he you know he's talking to me I said well I want to talk to the manager and I don't know if it was his accent or my assumption or whatever like I ended up having to go in there in person a couple of weeks before I moved and there's this guy and he's standing there and I look and I pick up the card on the counter and it's his name and it says owner so I thought hmm they must have sold it right and so I don't know who this guy is and I was a bitch. I'm just going to tell you, I was annoyed that I was moving. I was stressed out. Everything was really challenging, trying to pull all the details together. And I wasn't very nice to him. And then we started talking and I found out he was the principal violinist 
for the Oregon Symphony. Here's this guy who's toured the world playing stages all over the world. And because they had been released because of COVID, because they were no longer performing, you know, he had to go and do something different. And it was such a reminder. And I thought to myself, wow, Gianna, you're an asshole. <laughs> you, know, you better be kinder to people because you just don't know who you're talking to. And here's a guy who's had to readjust, reclaim, re just realign his life. But he was a musician and he had to find a new way. And I really have a heart in my space for musicians and artists who are struggling through this time. And it was a huge eye-opening lesson that you never know who you're talking to. You never know what somebody's going through and you never know what somebody's passion is that they've had to put on a shelf because of having to readjust or reform their life in some way because of everything we've been through. So when you just described that, it reminded me that we've all had to do things we didn't think we were going to do. We've all had to put our passions aside for a way and create new ones. The double-edged sword. We're finding yeah. the other side of that too. Yep. So is there anything else you would like people to know about Rock Camp, the movie? I have seen it twice. It's really good. It's fun to see these people come to life in, in their experiences. It's fun to see behind the scenes of something so amazing unfolding. And um, the, the movie is available streaming on all platforms, doing your master classes. And then you're talking about October 2021 in Florida. Is there anything else? you would like people to know? I would love them to watch the film. I really think that, you know, for $3, they can go on Amazon and to see the film or go to iTunes, uh, go to Fandango. Um, and hopefully they'll, they'll, they'll take away a great feeling and motivate them to do what they want to do in their lives and find passion. You know, uh, what I love about this film most is that how many times you watch a trailer and then you go see a film, you're disappointed. I believe the film is better than the trailer. It is. So, uh, it really is. Watch Rocky. No, it really is. And I it like is. how you describe you can't, it. Yeah, that's why I want David's yeah. on a moped and he's cruising. Yeah, I think you're going up La Brea or something. If I was trying to like scan and see yes, what, what, what street is he on? Beverly. 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 Going to Beverly and <laughs> La Brea. Right. Beverly and La Brea. Exactly. <laughs> I do recognize it. Well, I've really grown to have yeah. so much respect for what it is you're providing. I just don't meet people that are as altruistic in their beingness personally and professionally to seeing how it comes together so beautifully. And it does for you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a lot of work. Trust me. It's a lot of work. And, but I love it. I love it. And, uh, and thanks for having me and, and thanks for coming to camp. And I hope that, um, we, we go into next year and everyone's healthy and, and people find their passion. Yes. And thank you so much, really, for having me. I love what we spoke about. I, you know, great, great. Uh, I know I might have talked no. too much, but uh, <laughs> you made it easy for me. No, I, I could keep you talking for days. And I will say, hey, if you ever get somebody like Ringo right. Starr that wants to help out a little podcast by telling their story of their identity, I would be fucking stoked if something like that ever came up. Okay, hard to get these people, you know, I, I, I let, but I will get them. Telling people's stories is my passion. Yeah. Seen some stuff, done some stuff, who have some stuff to give back. Okay, done. Appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. I've had a fantastic time. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, share it with someone you think is in need. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. 
For questions or comments, reach me at janalopez.com. And when you're having a moment of identity doubt, just remember that seeing is relieving. <laughs>